Welcome to Open Plaza Talks, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode focuses on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. Today we bring you a conversation between Miluska Akije and Maritza Crespo and Dr. Orlando Crespo about faith, justice, and immigration. For more information about today's episode, please visit us at htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to HCI Open Plaza podcast. My name is Miluska Kije. I'm a DACA Dreamer licensed clergy. I'm here today with Maritza Crespo, who is my mentor for the past seven years, and her wonderful husband, Orlando Crespo, the National Director of InterVarsity Latino Fellowship. They have both been present in my life all these years as major support in turbulent times. Today, we are going to talk about faith and justice in immigration. So welcome, Orlando and Maritza, to the podcast. Uh, Great, great to be on today. And uh, we look forward to sharing what's in our heart. And and of course, our commitment, our love to you is through the roof. So this is a a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. After after Orlando being my favorite person, you are totally one of my favorite people. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Thank it's you, Emerson. It's an honor to mentor you, and I can't believe it's been seven years. That's kind of crazy. Right? It's, it, it really is crazy. I still can't believe it either, but it's been seven years. Seven years. <laughs> yes, in all these seven years, we've gone through everything, I think. <laughs> um, yes, for sure. You know, and as I mentioned to our podcast listeners and stuff, so I am a DACA dreamer, so I'm under DACA. I'm also part of the dreamer demographic, which are kids who um, basically um, their families brought them from crossing the border. So one of the things I want to definitely share is our fun interactions post-election season. So Maritza, I'll start with you. What was your reaction with the election? That's a fun adjective you're adding. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, what was your reaction? I have to say my post-reaction, post-election reaction was, it wasn't very light. It was, there was a lot of darkness. I felt a lot of gloom. And the first thing I thought about was you um, because of the stance of the administration against DACA. And uh, I know, I remember telling you, like, you need to hide out. You come to my house. I will, I will hide your entire family. (laughs) And uh, that will be okay with me. I'm not asking Orlando. Is happening. That's it. <laughs> I mean, all joking aside, it was, um, I was just scared. I was scared for you. So I'm like, I know a dreamer. I know this is a person. This is not just a number or a statistic. It's a real person with real dreams and real aspirations and a wonderful contributor to our country and pays taxes. And like, how, how is life going to be for her? And I, I would, do anything and everything to protect you um, against injustice. Yeah, thank you, Mama Ritz. And and definitely, I think for me in the receiving end, I'll never forget your words to me when I called you. I remember completely like, I think I was just in shock, you know, that Trump got elected. And 
And I was like, what do I do? What's going to happen? Right. And stuff. So, and yeah. you told me that you're like, man, I'm going to hide. And I said it, you know, there I didn't laugh. I think I laughed afterwards because I was like, that is so yeah. Mama Brit's reaction. <laughs> so protective Mama Bear. And it was so nice. Oh, but yeah. you were right. You know, absolutely. Like I expressed to you my fear. Like I expressed to you, like, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I think to me, I, I love that you stood with me in, in compassion, in grief, you know, complete solidarity. You weren't just saying it just like, ah, oh, okay, me hate that. And it's like, no, you actually were with me in that grief. So I appreciated that so much because um, it was a lot, you know, to know, hearing the rhetorics and everything like it. So, yeah, so, so thank you, Roberts, for that one. Yeah. Yeah, still stands true. Well, Millie, it might be helpful to hear, you, you mentioned you're a DACA student, but it might be helpful to share your story uh, you know, as an undocumented person receiving DACA, uh, you know, in 2016 when, you know, President Trump was elected, uh, we're talking about how that affected you. But I, I, I know most of your story, but it'd be helpful for the audience to hear uh, as a DACA student, what, what it's been like for you. Oh man, it has been rough, you know. Um, so yes, um, long story short for me and how I came to the country is that at the age of three, my mom made the wonderful decision of bringing me here to this country. But of course, you know, coming from Peru, that's where I was from, um, she had to make the tough decision of, I can't get a visa, so I'm going to cross. Um, with a coyote and all of that. So, so that's how she actually crossed me in the border. Risky, mind you, she didn't know um, all the different circumstances we would go through in order for her to cross and bring me here, you know? So I knew that later on in my life. I didn't even know I was undocumented until I had to apply for college. And the, my guidance counsel asked me like, you know, do you have a social security number? And I was like, I don't know, but let me ask my mom, you know, and stuff. And then when I asked my mom, she's sitting me down and kind of like saying, so, you know, you're different. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm different. You know, mind you, I'm thinking she's saying, because around this time, I'm like an honor student, something like that. But no one there, she told me the story and she showed me like um, the boleto and the ticket of how somehow we were able to travel from where we crossed, we crossed, you know, most likely the border of um, US to Mexico, but then in California, and then we had to take a flight from California to New York, because my father was here, and stuff. So imagine me, like, I had no idea I was undocumented until the age of 16. That was very, very stressful for me, because no one else knew as well, what does that look like to you even go to college, you know, so even my college, like, counselor, um, advisor, in high school didn't even know what to do with me so she all she did was like you have good grades keep going we don't know what that's going to look like but just keep going and honestly I thank God that I had my faith background too because if not I don't think I would have you know around this time I was in a, I remember in a small Pentecostal church and mentioning it my pastor and him just supporting me and saying no you should continue your education and stuff like that um, but then from there too was awesome in having um the community of faith of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, you know, a campus college, you know, ministry that completely supports all people. And for me was a wonderful um, catalyst of my faith as well, not only for my own communities as Latina, but also for other communities, you know, and seeing, you know, faith on campus. So 
it was a journey because again like I never told anyone until like my mentor that time and stuff um, when she wanted to take me to this missions trip um, conference or be on a missions conference and I had to release to her like hey I, I don't have my ID you know because I didn't before DACA you know um, and it was it was a struggle because I, I knew I trusted her I know she loved me you know and also I, I knew too in my own culture, and I think we can talk about that as well, like it's a shame to say something outside of your family context, but because I knew also my parents trusted her, I knew I could tell her this information, you know, um, and it was so awesome to, for her to pray with me, you know, wonderful, you guys know her very well, that's how we met as well, you know, Patricia, wonderful, amazing um, Southern lady from Mississippi with a heart of gold, you know, for all nations. And she prayed with me and just cried with me and just asked God to be the king over everything and over all laws, you know. And it was literally before DACA got passed too, when she made that prayer. That's really interesting. Um, so, so yeah, so it was a struggle because like I said, no one before me in my family um, had gone through this path particularly. And also, I just didn't know what that would look like, which was providing for everything for myself. No financial aid, had to provide for my classes, provide for my books, everything. Um, but I'm so grateful for community and especially the Christian community that helped me, you know, until this day. You know, that's how I met you amazing people, you know, in diversity and stuff um, through Patricia as well and other friends of ours too. And, and yeah, it's been awesome to know a community from there but then also even going to seminary later on of bridging faith and justice because I never knew that as a that God really cared for me as an undocumented um Latina you know I and that was a whole other that's a whole other story itself but yes that's that's pretty much my story in a nutshell yeah and somehow I landed to what I wanted to hide away from which is you know pastorship and I know about Ritz you could attest to this you know my testimony there is one-liner you can run but you can't hide and here we are <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I I really enjoyed because when I met you you were doing volunteer work within a varsity at Hunter College and I mean I I saw the pastor in you right it was it was really obvious um what God was doing and work, what the path that God was leading you. So it's my honor to continue to push you forward. And yeah. encourage you. <laughs> I love it. It was I will never forget our first day because I um I remember we met up around Hunter Campus actually too in a, yeah. in a and I had all the intention of asking, you know, Maritza Orlando, I'm not sure if you ever heard the story, but I had every intention of asking um Maritza to be my mentor but without me even saying anything she went ahead flipped her planner she's like okay so when are we meeting next month and I was like oh my gosh I, you know I didn't even ask her she was already there it was super awesome you that's know because the it was it's not just a one-sided relationship <laughs> it's uh it's mutual you you've blessed me um 10 times more than I know that I've blessed you because you're you're amazing too Oh, thank you, Reverend. Yes, <laughs> yes. I love it. You know, thank you so much for your support. And, and you too, Orlando, because I know you do so much for our communities as well, you know. So my question is the same kind of like for the way I phrase it for Mama Ritz, which is, you know, how was your reaction personally, you know, post, you know, 
2016, but then also, you know, Lafay, because I know you're also absolutely overseeing Lafay. Sure. Yeah. So I, I've been I've been involved with Innovar City since 1987. So it's been like 33 years now. Wow. But 20 years ago, I became the LaFed director for Intervarsity. We have ethnic specific ministries. I became the first ever national Latino ministry director. And um, so I think for me, some of my concern uh, for immigration uh, really began to grow through a friend of mine, Lisa Sharon Harper, who was a former um, uh, staff with Intervarsity, who did uh, racial reconciliation and there was a, a point where some things in Arizona were getting out of hand in terms of some of the immigration policies that the state was trying to take over and take hold of. And so there was a series of moral Mondays, what we call moral Mondays, where for I think like six, six Mondays in a row here in New York City, um, we were partnering with some other ministries to have uh, evangelical clergy, Latino, black, white clergy get arrested in protest of some of the immigration issues that were happening throughout the country, particularly uh, some of the things that were happening in Arizona. And so Lisa Sharon Harper invited me to that. I was one of the people that got arrested, I think on the third Monday we did it. And, wow. uh, and it, was, it was a real challenge for me because I felt strongly, you know, as a Christian, right, in terms of issues of faith and justice, like you can believe and have faith in Christ, right, and be a follower of Christ. But, you know, when you look at um, scripture, it talks about, you know, like in James, right, how do we live that out? How do we make sure that it's faith and works together? And so I just felt more and more convicted that uh, fighting for immigrant rights as a clergy, as a pastor, uh, I needed to put my money where my mouth is, and that meant putting my body out there uh, for for this cause. So I did get arrested. Um, uh, I spent maybe half a day in uh, in arrest in a paddy wagon, and we had um, some legal help, so we were able to get out quickly. But it was, you know, it was something where I felt that. Um, to be aligned with undocumented people, I need to be willing to suffer with them and, uh, and to suffer for them. So that began even before Trump took office in 2016. And so by then I just felt like Maritza that um, you know, we needed to do whatever we could do to be helpful. And uh, so even within a varsity, uh, I fought to get in a varsity to sign on with the evangelical immigration table, oh, which neat. is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a multi-ethnic, multi-denominational organization that's really pushing for, for humane rights, for immigration, humane immigration reform. And, uh, and so InterVarsity signed on to that. We're, we're signatories to that uh, even now. And, uh, and I think with InterVarsity, we're just find, trying to find new ways to push for uh, the dignity of undocumented students, particularly DACA students. And uh, so that's where that's where we are now. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know the full story about Maritz over Orlando. Thank you for <laughs> sharing. Look at him being you know, a you know, complete justice warrior and stuff. It's super awesome. Yeah. 
No, at first I was, I thought he was insane, um, but it didn't take a lot of time for me to realize this is a good thing to be arrested. Because, you know, the family shame of, you know, Orlando having a record, but it, it's a completely different thing when it's uh, civil disobedience. It's not the same as when someone has a criminal record. Um, but none, nevertheless, it was uh, something that at first I was like, don't do that, are you crazy? <laughs> but it, like I said, it didn't take long for me to realize it's, it's a noble thing, it's a wonderful thing. And it's something Jesus would do, for goodness sakes. Mm -hmm. You know, he would get arrested for the sake of, of calling out injustice. Um, yes. So I'm proud of my husband that my husband got arrested. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and I, and I think, you know, Maritza, she struggled with it, right? Because I, I agree with her. I think when you look at the Black and Latino community, right, to have somebody arrested, it's, it can be, uh, it can hurt, it can last us less for a lifetime, right, when you have that record. And it tends to hurt Black and Latino men, I think, more, more often uh, and, and, and for a longer time. So it was a, a decision, it was a hard process to kind of go through, but um, but she dealt with it. And I think her commitment even to you, Millie, has come out of some of her own processing of me journey, dealing with my own journey and, and uh, being willing to step forward uh, to fight for, uh, for immigration rights. And, uh, and so I've seen her really take the ball and run with it in her interaction and commitment to you. Wow, yeah. it's beautiful. I would love to know more. What can I, you definitely un, unveil all of that? <laughs> oh, wow. I, I haven't thought about it in a long time, but I think that as, as Trump was beginning his candidacy for president, you know how that all started, um, it awoke in me the, the, the fighter or the the person who wants to fight against injustice. And my ego or my uh, reputation is way last for the, for the rights and for the justice of others. And now that it's, that has a face, which is you, <laughs> um, it meant even more because this is not, it's not um, hyperbole or it's not like, um, it's real, it's tangible, it's, it's, I can hug you, I can touch you, I know you, I know your dreams, I know your, your passions. Um, and so knowing someone who is struggling with this is just lit a fire in me to want the right thing to happen for you and for all the others that are, that are under this. And it's not just, you know what I realized? It's not just Latinos, it's, Africans and Asians and you know the it's just such a beautiful thing to have uh, dreamers in this country that have known nothing else but this country and are doing great things and why should you not stay and stay safe and be safe and, and feel like you're welcomed here like I just don't get me started girl I will oh lord <laughs> oh I know you would <laughs> I know you would, Robert. Oh my God. And this is not usually me. I'm not like a soapbox person, but there's just certain things that, that get me riled up. And this is one mm -hmm. of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, but I think Millie too, and I, in your relationship with Maritza, 
what I've appreciated about you is is your kind of self advocacy or self agency. Like you've you've been willing to share your story with us, and that's something that you know undocumented people, like you said, you know the shame is there, uh, uh, the the hiddenness of it, right? The fear. Um, the fear. But you just had a wonderful way of sharing your story and your needs and your concerns with us uh, that allowed us to then engage with you and interact with you and, and to find ways that we could be helpful to you. Uh, so I guess my question for you is, how did you figure that out? Like as a, as a DACA student, right? As an undocumented person, I know sometimes you probably struggle telling your story. How did you kind of work that out in your own life? Yeah, like I mentioned, it was really hard for me to tell it. You know, first I started with um, Patricia, right? And then from there, I feel like because we all came from InterVarsity, I felt so at home, you know? So from there, you know, like how we also were introduced with um, our mutual friend, right? Um, JD and stuff through, um, faith and academics doing a workshop for our community I think for me I also heard it in your hearts of advocacy of justice and it was I would think I think it was so easy I would say um because I already knew you were part of our community and I just heard it as well in um just the context of um of protection you know and I think for me I took that on and I was like okay I know I can tell them they're a safe space and I think that's how I started like completely unveiling myself to you, Mama um, Maritz, and just telling you, hey, this is what I'm going through, you know, and it was definitely, I'll be honest, it was not hard because we came from the same organization, which I definitely am so fond of and has been such a great, I would say, instrument for me to be the, the leader I am today. Um, it really is like, I really am resilient because of it, but also because of, you know, just the pouring in of, um, mentorship as well. Um, Maritza, you've been giving me all throughout these years of just, you know, for me to be Jesus centered over other stuff, you know, versus culture, you know, or even politics itself, whatever I hear in the government. And I think for me, that has been my greatest anger of just reminders of that way, because you know, I've, I've wanted to give up so many times, like, when I for example, like when Trump was elected, I definitely did. I didn't want to release even my story because I felt afraid. It's like, who do I trust, right? Outside of my community, which is my Latino community, who I know knows my struggles. But then I even saw in my timeline, we were grief about that, of other mm -hmm. Latinos just not even understanding undocumented stories. And I think for me, it was great to wrestle with it with you and you just reminding me of like, but, you know, but God is for you, you know, he, he, he hears you, he, he grieves with you. And from there, it gave me even more of a, I would say a heart to continue forward, along with like what I mentioned, you know, being part of um, in NIAC and ATS, where they actually were completely open about talking about, you know, faith and justice integration, that being part of our study of God for, you know, for those who are in the margins. And for me, that was my first time ever hearing it. And I remember mentioning it to you as well, Mama Ritz. And I was like, wow, like I, you know, people are advocating for us. And I didn't even know that, like, and I read about it, you know, and it's funny cause I actually did read about um, the advocacy of clergy from I think Liberty to the Captives by 
Reverend Dr. Raymond Rivera, um, Orlando. So it's so funny because yeah. you were part of that. You know, you were arrested in that same Yeah, place. It was, oh, that's right. Oh he, he was one of the gentlemen that was arrested with me, right? I think it was the same the same day we got arrested yeah. together. <laughs> Look at that. That's amazing. And that was actually what transformed my life, you know, because from there I had kind of the audacity of like, you know what, enough is enough. I'm tired of people looking at me as a number and I'm going to start saying it, you know, saying it out loud. Like, this is my story and people are going to have to just deal with it. You know, which is that, you know, I'm a Latina. I am first generation. I am undocumented, but it doesn't make me, um, you know, subhuman or inhuman. I am human. You know, so I think for me, hearing the reactions and also your support to Orlando because you checked in with me after the election too I'll never forget that we had dinner together you're like Millie how are you really doing I told you I was just honest I was like this sucks and just grieving and crying I'll never forget you know because it's it was it was hard it was really hard to actually have on that moment but I thank you guys because honestly without having support from people I know I don't have to translate my culture or you know or myself so much it meant the world to me. So, so thank you guys so much for those moments we've had together. Because if not, I don't think I would have the, the courage I have right now of just being all my full self, which is, you know, myself as, um, you know, a Latina, myself as undocumented, myself as an advocate, you know, and, and telling others of my story, but then also rescuing others too, which is something I've seen a lot in this election as well, where there's people who are navigating still the faith and justice spectrum and saying, wait, um, I see my pastor, and I saw this, I remember in this election, I see my pastor saying, you know, no, you should vote this way, you know, in a predominantly um, Latino church and telling them all to vote for Trump, you know, and things like, and then saying, where do I fit in? Mind you, these are DACA recipients talking about that. And then from there, I'm like, oh, shoot, I have to, I'm going to say something. I'm like, super sorry you're hearing this. Let me just say, I'm a DACA student, you know, and I'm also, guess what? I'm also a pastor. And they're like blowing your minds. They're like, wait, how did that happen? You know, it's exploding all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you know, and it was, was, this election too was also rough in that way because I also heard others like upset, you know, like why in the heck are, you know, white Americans there at, you know, the offices praying and pleading with God to stop the vote, you know, and I had to apologize. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, guys. Not all of us are like that. And again, do my plea. I am also a DACA recipient and a pastor. <laughs> Jesus loves you. You know, Jesus himself was a refugee and reminding them of that. Oh, like, oh, that's you, right. know, <laughs> you know, and stuff. And that those conversations, I would dare say, if you guys never knew this, but this is the courage you guys gave me because you gave me such a, um, I would say the, an avenue, you know, an agency in that way too, to just be unapologetic with my story. So thank you guys. So these are some fun stories too I had to share with you guys. <laughs> yeah, because you never told us that. And it's like, really? We did that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I remember that dinner I had after Trump was elected president in uh, 2016. And if you, if, if I can remind people uh, that, uh, in his first hundred days, his promise was to uh, to over to um, to get rid of DACA. Uh, that was like part of his first hundred days in office. Uh, one of his goals. So there was a real imminent danger that you felt because by President Trump being elected, 
Uh, it could mean the end of a program that you were benefiting from and you didn't know the impact that that would have on you and your family. Um, and so how are you feeling now with this, you know, this new election um, with President-elect Biden coming in? Are you hopeful or are you still feeling a sense of hesitancy or fear or frustration? I think I'm hopeful for the reason of just seeing, even though yes, we have, you know, right now, unfortunate circumstances in our nation, but overall, I am being very hopeful in seeing so many coming together, you know, for the rights of us in that way that I would have never expected, you know, who are open in that way of advocating for us. And also even I've seen in many post scenes, I remember for the election for this, this past year is of like people just saying, hey, I know you guys can't vote, but I'm voting for you. And to me, that meant so much to the world, you know, to know that in the same thing my sister did, she did from 2016 election, she did as well for me and she gave me her sticker because um, she's she is um, was, she's born here and she was like, I voted for you, you know? And, and so I think for me, it, it's been okay. great to receive that, you know, and just remind myself I'm not alone, you know, even though, yes, I don't have that voice of voting. There's others who are voting. There's others who are advocating. So I feel like I have been more of a hopeful stance. But of course, before the election results, you know, came in, I was absolutely in high anxiety, I think, with everyone else as well. You know, for the full week, it's like, what is this, you know? So it was it was a lot, I think, to kind of as well process. And I had to also around this time too, I've been like connecting with other, you know, undocumented networks. I remember I connected to one, um, my undocumented blog and stuff, which is a wonderful network that releases our stories very authentically. And we support all undocumented there by just encouraging them with our stories or saying our perspectives and um, the founder of it, um, Oscar Romero, who's a great, also advocate, you know, shout out to him. I remember him telling me, hey, Millie, would you be able to make a statement of like encouragement, you know, for all our documented allies? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I don't know where that encouragement is going to come because right now I'm in a full anxiety. And somehow <laughs> in some way, you know, I was able to release something of just reminding ourselves that, you know, we are we are literally the United States. And then I took mm. that apart. I was because I love puns, guys. So I was like, we're the United <laughs> States. We're not, you know, right now we are united in all the different states we are in, mental state, you know, <laughs> emotional state, and things like that. And just reminding yeah. ourselves to go back to that, you know, both documented and allies and knowing that even if we have differences, you know, just, yeah. you know, trying to hope for the better future, regardless of who's you know, in office, because I know for me, like, I had that in mind, and Mama Ritz knows that, like, I was like, well, you know, if Trump's elected, I'll try to wreak havoc as much as I can with advocacy, but also, <laughs> I may not be here anymore, we'll see, <laughs> you know, I may go to another border, um, what you call it, or if he's not, you know, and if it's Biden, I saw the hopeful promise with that unification campaign, and I was like, I still will be present, I still want him to honor his word, right, which he has said in 100 days, he would definitely um, place immigration reform as, you know, as a high as well. And so apart from, of course, what is happening right now, you know, us being in a pandemic and, you know, mm -hmm. so the racist pandemic and so on and so forth, you know, so mm -hmm. I think for me, I've been absolutely more hopeful. 
Um, and I have to say, it's thanks to the allies as well, like you guys and so many others. Um, it, also in my congregation, I have um, a wonderful, diverse congregation where I do have um, kind of handful as well of wonderful, like white American brothers and sisters that have been also like so pro-justice and asking me to checking in with me too, as DACA was in and out of courts all of last year and just saying, hey, Millie, how are you? I'm praying for you. Many texted me when the decision of DACA last year in the summer and it was super awesome, like encouraging, Millie, you know, they ruled in your favor. And I was like, yes, yeah. thank God, you know, but then also grieving with me as, you know, of course, again, you know, Trump administration did a memorandum against us again and, and things like that. So it's been, I think, definitely a very tumultuous journey at, in, its, in itself. But I think what has been my strength has always been that, to know that I'm supported you know, with allies that can advocate, not just me, but also allies as well. So, but yeah, thank you for your question, Orlando, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm hopeful, um, even in the midst of still like seeing the uncertainty, but still just knowing that at the end of the day, you know, um, there's more than just us, you know, there's others for us and that's what matters too. Us, United States, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a good part. I love it. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, and you don't have to answer, but I've always been curious how being uh, a DACA recipient or being undocumented, how does that affect your finances? Like, what is it that, like, I wouldn't spend money on legal fees. Do you, you know, do you have to spend money on legal fees? How does that affect your taxes? Do you pay taxes? Stuff like that. You do not have to answer that. That's very personal. But I'm just curious. You can answer that later after we're done. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I think I'll answer it in general. So which is yeah. like, you know, for DACA, um, it was interesting for me to even apply because I was uncertain because I was like, oh, the government's going to have my information. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, uh, if in the first was that uncertainty of even applying, I was um, definitely pushed from my employer of that time, which was super awesome. She was a uh, wonderful advocate, absolutely feminist, um, democratic to the core and stuff, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So when I released to her my story, um, as encouraged by, um, by Patricia, I remember in that time, I'll never forget, because she was um, VP of the New York City Community Trust, also giving um, support to many different immigration clinics that were helping people process with um, DACA and she told me she's like look I did not just vote for this and you're not receiving the help that you need so you better get out there and you better go and apply so she really did and and oh she was she is definitely was relentless for me to apply so I have to say Thanks. you know Joyce Bove I love her you know um God rest her soul and everything because I know we lost her unfortunately a few years ago um to her battle in cancer but I'll never forget you know, that amazing woman's resilience of just pushing me forward, you better apply. And I did, you know, and right. just for information, you know, DACA, what it gives us is it gives us by like God's grace, you know, for an, a way for us to have um, an employment authorization card for us to work legally, meaning we don't have to be working under the books um, to have a social security number, which both, you know, can also help us have bank accounts because I'll, before that, I'll be honest, I didn't have a bank account, but then also for me to even have a state ID, I didn't have a state ID either. So it's things like this that have helped me and also get a better job, which I did, you know, around this time, 
um, I remember I did get a better job with benefits and everything, which was around, I, yeah, after ADACA, I remember applying different places and then, you know, going to a wonderful job that I did have for study for three years, which was in my own, own alma mater in Hunter as well, you know, which gave me completely a benefits package, which I never even knew was like available to me, to be honest, you know, as someone who had a work permit and things like that. So, so that's what had helped me. But the only thing with DACA, it does um, pardon us for deportation for the amount of time, which is two years. But after that, yes, we can travel, you know, within the United States or United States territories, but we cannot travel outside of the borders from that. And I think that's where, you know, I feel like for me and my very wonderful, like documented friends who um, we always like checking now with each other a lot more now. And we always have this understanding of like DACA, you know, we are still a, a bird in the cage, but with DACA, all they have done is expanded the cage and refurnished it, which means we're still there, you know, but I think for me, it's us knowing as well and myself as well. And I speak for myself in this way too, of like, yes, you know, they may place us in a cage, they may place me in a cage, but they can never cage me and my dreams and my hopes, you know, so that's, where I feel like for me, I've gone, you know, more than just DACA, you know, in that way. But yes, DACA is honestly not an amnesty as many people um, erroneously actually label it. It's not, it's just a pardon for deportation and for us just to have a work permit and work legally. And yes, we pay taxes like everyone else, you know, um, do we have health insurance and um, or not? That varies from state to state, you know, it's because I know that's a whole other stuff too with a recent court case, um, of course, as usual, you know, DACA is always in the courts and stuff. And there's a ruling happening literally a day before inauguration, which is again, trying to strip away our rights, our small rights that we have um, in that way. And, and of course, you know, that comes back to um, our conversation on um, Orlando too, where yes, I was worried because if I, had, if I don't have a work permit and able to pay my bills and help my family, you know, then how, how am I going to provide, you know, and stuff, which is one of the reasons why even before us all meeting actually, and Patricia knows this as well as is my um, witness for this one. I remember before DACA, I was like getting ready to pack my bags and do like international campus ministry in Peru. I was like, might as well just go to Peru and get my, you know, use my bachelor's degree like that with my experience in intervarsity and stuff. But it was so funny. So many of my friends looked at me like a high five heads. Like, are you serious, really? And there's where DACA came to, um, you know, came to play. It was so funny though. But yes, that was my fun intention plans. But look, God's plans were different. Yes, indeed. I'm so glad because I wouldn't have met you. Yeah, exactly. Did you have another question, Orlando? Um, no, I, I was just thinking, um, like you mentioned about the uh, about paying taxes and stuff. And I that's usually an argument that's used against immigration, right? That uh, the immigrants are they're they're stealing jobs or they're taking resources from Americans, but the real truth, the reality is that in most situations in history, uh, having in immigrants in a country has helped to re revive that economy, strengthen the economy. I was looking at a statistic recently um, that said that in 2014, when it came to local, state, and federal taxes, 
that immigrants contributed over $328 billion to, uh, to taxes to the United wow. States. $328 billion. That's no small chump change, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but the narrative is, oh, you know, immigrants are, they're, they're harmful to us. And it's a narrative we have to keep fighting against that no, immigrants uh, have always, in most countries throughout history, have been a blessing um, to, to that country, to that nation. And I think that's been true here, you know, in the United States as well. And when I think about you and the blessing that you've been to us, to your family, uh, to the church, you know, pastoring now, uh, you know, we bring it down to one microcosm, right? And we, but if we multiplied you by tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of DACA students, the um, the the wealth of creativity and intelligence is just through the roof, and. So for me, not just theologically or biblically do I think it's important, but I think financially, economically, I think in every way, uh, having a humane uh, immigration system is just so valuable to any country. And that's why, you know, I think fighting for immigration reform uh, is just, you know, so important. I feel like the reform has to happen. And um and we keep kind of going around things, right? It's the third rail of politics, as they say. But at some point, somebody has to fix this because too many people are suffering and struggling. And we need immigrants in this country to strengthen who we are as a nation. We're a nation of immigrants. We know that. And immigrants continue uh, to bring um, beauty of their culture and their strength to this country. and and. I see that in you, and I see that in, in every DACA student I meet on the college campus. Uh, so, Yeah, thank you, Orlando. Yes, and I completely agree with you because I think one thing for sure and being like more now in like advocacy and knowing more like immigration networks, it's not just us too. It's not just us Latinos. There's a plethora of immigrants and undocumented you know, there are Asians, there are South Asians, there are African, West Indian, you know, that some, yes, may have the avenue to actually release the stress and some may not because of their culture, right? And I've noticed that, you know, it's also one thing that I love so much of being part of these different groups too, is just learning so much from them and also their hearts and all of our hearts uniting, not only for ourselves, because Yes, we're considered the dreamers because we live out the American dream of our parents, but we also have always are pushing that back a little bit too in a good way, which is highlighting the real dreamers, which is our parents who actually brought us here. You know, so for us as well, I can speak for myself in that way too. Like it's one of my greatest like hopes as well with this new administration is for us to advocate for immigration reform, not just for us as DACA dreamers or DACA and or and dreamers and stuff like that, because I know not all DACA recipients are also dreamers, um, but also for our parents who are undocumented and so many others who are stuck in the system, because every immigration case too is varies. You know, it's not just perhaps um, my case, you know, of like just crossing the border at such a young age, um, but there's also many other cases too they're really complicated. And like you said, you know, there hasn't been any change. And I think that's going to be our, our greatest, I would say, mission for going forward is just to see 
uh, reform for all of us, you know, especially, you know, in some sort of, I would say, in a severance for what happened right now, we're in a global pandemic and many are not able to see their families, you know, and that I think hopefully that can also be a compassion avenue for, for people to, you know, start immigration reform. So I'm absolutely with you. And I do think if I'm mistaken, in statistic wise, there are at least 800,000 DACA um, all in the United States, you know, that, you know, yes, have contributed to the society and in different ways. And I think out of the 800, from what I read recently, there's 200, 250,000 frontline workers who are also DACA recipients. You know, mind you, this is completely frontline, like in the medical field. Imagine those who are in other humanitarian fields, like myself, perhaps, you know, who are clergy or who are psychologists and so on and so forth. So, but yes, there's many of us out there trying to help as well in, you know, each other and community to not, you know, gravitate hopeless in what we're facing this completely nationwide too. Right. One more question that I have on my list. Do you have ever have a desire? I know you're not able to, but a desire to visit your home country? Yes, I would love to, you know, uh, unfortunately, I know the circumstances in my family have um, changed in the sense of, for example, my grandma from my dad's side, you know, um, they had to sell her house after she passed away and things like mm-hmm. that, which is kind of unfortunate. But I do know that, of course, you know, knowing where the location is um, in Lima and also my mom and her her stories of my grandparents, because that's unfortunately part of my story too, and which I have discussed with you, um, Mama Ritz, of my yeah. grief of not having my grandparents at all um, in my life for because of my status, you know, when they passed away, especially my grandma, uh, both from both sides, my dad and my mom, you know, I wasn't able to actually be there with them or even meet them in that way, you know, only through phone calls in that time. Um, so I still carry that grief with me. And yes, I would love to go to my homeland and go where my grandparents went or my parents were raised, right? And just know where I would have been raised if I, my parents would have made that decision, right? And stuff like that of actually um, staying in our, in our home country and also just exploring my own history because I feel like that's the one thing I've been deprived of. I really feel like more of a, a North American than a South American because I know more, of course, more North American history. Yeah. The only thing I know from my own history as a Peruvian is, you know, the Incan civilization, which was part of global history, right? Right. <laughs> In education, it's like, okay, I'll tell you who was, you know, the, the Incan person, you know, when that happened and, you know, the whole Spaniard conquest and stuff, but that's all I know, you know, after that, I don't know. And I feel bad in that way. Um, but I do still would love to embrace more in knowing my history, you know, and knowing, you know, I do know we also have a lot of um, a wonderful cuisine and blending as well of ethnicity hence like our afro-peruvian music and and also you know food and stuff i know that's part of my roots through my dad as well you know so i Mm -hmm. i would love to learn more and of course going to one of the world wonders machu picchu you know and stuff and i love llamas so i can't wait to meet one (laughs) hilarious yeah i don't know if you ever knew this about me millie but my dad's side my dad was an immigrant in the early 60s from cuba so I never met, I've never been to Cuba. 
I've never met my family on that side. My grandparents, they've passed away about 20 years. They lived into their 90s. So we have that in common. We have that, that little string. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know a lot about Cuban history. You know, I know more about American history than I do about Cuban history and my African ancestors and all that. But yeah, so I just want to let you know that we have that in common. It's kind of like okay. that longing of knowing that side of my family. Um, yeah, don't know if that that's will ever awesome. be, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You see, this is why I know, you know, you're like my mentor for life. <laughs> you have so many things in common, so awesome. You get rid of me, no way. <laughs> I know, I know for sure. <sighs> this is good, huh? Yeah. I always learn from you, Millie. That's why our relationship is so special. Oh, thank you, Mama Ritz. Me too. I'll never forget. And I also learned from you as well, Orlando, as I as have conversations with um, Maritza. And I think I've shared that with her and I'll share that with you openly, Orlando, of like learning from you guys and knowing my next season, right? Whenever that comes and stuff, which is marriage and seeing how I've seen you guys, you know, in good times and also not so good times too. And, you know, still loving each other, still supporting each other. Um, I'll never forget and stuff of um, one moment that we all had, which was super precious for me, which was, I think, the day that um, Mama Ritz, you were like changing your phone or something like it. And Orlando had like this restaurant meeting, right? And stuff with me and others who were supporting like, you know, the undocumented and stuff like that. We had yeah. like, a wonderful like meeting in, you know, in Peak Supreme, I think. And I remember Orlando telling me, confessing to me, you know, just in case, you know, your mentor might be a little upset because I had to rush here to, to beat you and all and everything. And I had no way to tell her because we were, you know, in our phones. I was like, oh, okay. And Dietrich, that's exactly what happened. It was super cute. I love it. You know, hence why I love it. The the realness, the authenticity, right? And stuff of um, of love in that way of like you both knowing that, you know, and um and you telling him. You still loving him, you know, saying hi to him, you know, as a couple, and then then saying, We'll talk later. And then her, you know, Mama would say, hi, yeah. <laughs> so funny but I love it because I think to me I need those lessons too you know of just knowing you can love and still yeah still hold your own of like I I'm upset of this misunderstanding and I think for me that's also been a joy to witness in my in my life you know as I also navigate you know in time we'll navigate that next season of marriage of knowing that yeah you can do this and stuff because I know for me and how I experienced or seen anger modeled it's definitely hasn't been in that way for sure <laughs> it's been either implosive or explosive anger so yeah you saw controlled imploding anger um <laughs> at orlando but my goal is never to disrespect him in public no matter how mad i am at him and i always know that his ulterior motive is not to hurt me so that's that's where that comes from, you know? So walking into, so the story goes where we were renewing our phones. He had to turn off my phone in order to activate the new phone. But we were, I was at work and he was on his way to go see you guys. And so there was no way for me to know if he was gonna meet me at my work or was I supposed to go down and meet him downtown? So maybe an hour later and I'm waiting outside and not knowing. <laughs> so I was kind of like, 
you know, just not knowing what was happening and the frustration, yeah. frustration of not being able to get in touch with him. So by the time I got to the restaurant, I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, just please, God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jesus quickly reminded me that it wasn't with bad intentions that that happened. It just, it's a misunderstanding. And I got over it really quick. I can't stay <laughs> mad at him for very long. <laughs> But I'll tell you one thing I want to encourage, you know, other DACA students or even undocumented people that are struggling. I think what's been wonderful about our relationship, you know, with you is that uh, we've been able to be real with each other, right? We've, we've been able to hear your story. You've been honest with us. And I think often that's when things, people begin to break down in terms of their political view of what immigration is or isn't, is when they meet somebody who's who's an undocumented immigrant that they can care about and love and know their story. And something drastically changes when you know somebody's story and you be, begin to care about them and uh, allow them into your life both ways. And so the challenge of course is trusting, you know, who to trust, but it's always asking God, God, who is there out there for me to trust, help me to know so that when I open up my story, my immigrant story, there are people there who are going to love me through it, support me, and uh, and um, yeah, and help me to to um, to be able to endure some of the challenges and hardships that that uh, that immigrants face that are still facing in this country. And I feel like you did that really well. You opened up your life to us. Uh, we got to care about you. We became friends, and. Um, and so that makes that makes a difference in terms of how we view even immigration. Oh wow, that's a blessing to hear because I know that's something I I would have never known if I wouldn't have heard it. If that makes sense, I definitely know it for actions, right? Which is so lovely and it's been so prevalent in just all these years um, from me both. You know, Maritza is my mentor, and also you, Orlando. You know, supporting her and how I hear through her as well at times as we would catch up as well, like the work you're doing too for our community and college campus students that need to see someone like us on campus and also need to have faith in knowing, you know, Christ is there, but also Christ loves us in our culture, right? And having a safe space in that way too. So that's one thing too, I absolutely commend and you being that witness, um, Orlando, and for all of us in that way on campus. And my Moritz, you already know, I love you too like so much because you have shown me authenticity. It really is. And I model that which I've seen in you both in that way. And hence why I could mention that wonderful experience, you know, of um, the pizza party. And for the real reason too, of like that helped me as well, go against my own border walls of also to love and be loved. And cause that's one thing too, I think I have discussed um, with you Mama Ritz, which is my wrestle of like singleness being undocumented is like you were saying you know it's um who do you trust with it you know and also I think for me now being more audacious with my story I feel like it's given me even courage to love that which whether that person is either undocumented an immigrant or an American citizen but knowing that centered in God's love you know I am called to love and I deprive myself of love of whoever it is you know mm -hmm. stuff like that that God has for me in that way um but thank you guys because I know for me I had to wrestle with my own border walls for myself in that way wow. um because you know of course that's the rhetoric right it's like 
people have this misconception of like, no, you know, it's such an easy system for immigration in order to adjust your status. Why don't you just get married? But that's not true. Um, it's right. definitely because, you know, not everyone has still a certain pardon for um, what is called, which I don't like saying this um, word in regards to immigration, but it is called illegal entry, right? Instead of if you don't come here with a visa, you know, um, and if you don't have a pardon, then you can't have any sort of being petitioned for an adjustment of status. And yet people have this very bad misconception of like, yeah, go ahead get hitched, you know, with an American citizen. And that shouldn't be either, you know, the case because we shouldn't limit our pursuit of love and happiness because of a documentation too. So, so that's one thing I definitely um, want to thank you guys because you guys showed me that of like, with just your transparency, authenticity of everything of, um, yeah, like I can be loved and pursue love in my own time, right? And stuff and knowing that God is for me and not against me. But then also knowing that, yes, you know, it could be anyone. It doesn't have to be, you know, an American citizen, you know, not to say I don't want one. Of course, that would be great. But it's like, <laughs> I do want that freedom. And I don't want to be caged in already in my pursuit of love, yeah. apart from the system already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Millie, I did want to mention, too, that for those who want to know more about, uh, you know, issues of faith and immigration and justice. Uh, I think the Evangelical Immigration Table, uh, their website does a good job of kind of explaining kind of a bipartisan solution on, on immigration uh, that includes these things. I just want to mention them quickly. Sure. Uh, uh, immigration that respects the God-given dignity of every person protects the unity of the immediate family, which is vital. We've seen families broken up too much these last four years. Respects the rule of law, guarantees secure national borders, ensures fairness to taxpayers, establishes a pathway towards legal status and or citizenship for those who qualify and who wish to become permanent residents. So just those are some of the values, some of the principles that the people who have signed on, and there have been um, hundreds of pastors, uh, many, many Christian evangelical organizations that have signed on, because the misconception right now is that, uh, is that Christians are against immigration. Yes, um, right. And that's just not true. There are many, many churches, organizations, uh, ministries like World Vision, uh, InterVarsity, which we've been talking about, World Relief, uh, NALIC, National Latino Evangelical Coalition, the National Association of Evangelicals. Those are just a, a few evangelical organizations that I think have a good perspective on immigration, uh, uh, humane immigration reform, which is what we're longing for. Yes, thank you so much for mentioning that because you're right, absolutely right in what you said, which is there's many, you know, from our immigrant communities that believe that, you know, because they see these rhetorics, right, of, you know, Trump supporters and Trump yeah. administration, they really completely, as soon as you say you're Christian, they're like, nope, you're probably like them, you know, and, and it's crazy, because um, I mentioned this story, I think, um, with you, Mama Ritz and stuff, and I'll mention it with you too, Orlando, but I'll never forget when I went, I think it was sometime last year, to support, you know, the DACA going, 
against the ruling of Trump administration. And it was around November. We, I was there in Washington, D.C. And, um, and one of the, the wonderful ladies there was like pushing me to kind of just say, you know, be interviewed by a reporter, which is fun. But then later I was there with other documented and I had to frame it for them. And, you know, because they're like, hey, how do you have this, you know, like um, courage to do that? I, I'm not sure if I can, you know, what do you do and stuff? So when I said it, I had to frame it and be like, just in case, you know, mm-hmm. I just want to let you know, I am so sorry if you hear that there's Christians against us, but mm-hmm. let me just say, I am a product of those Christians who are for us, you know, and I have to say, I had to continue always framing my story whenever I'm in the room with undocumented or documented as well, because they're afraid. And I, we even had an issue. I remember when I was um, mentoring as well, one of my um, alumni in Hunter, where um, she told me of someone coming to the club space as well around the time as well of um, Trump being elected and just being honest and saying like, I'm glad you guys have a Christian club here, but are you guys like them? And she had to have that conversation. Thankfully, because she knows my story, my mentee in that time. And then she told me, Millie, look, this happened. And it's crazy because I, I felt that would happen too. Um, and we had prior conversation as she was the, the president of the club at that time. So mm-hmm. yes, you know, you I did see that. And I'm happy there's amazing organizations that link and just say, we are for you. Because um, there are, you know, we are here. And I'm glad we're having this conversation, you know, as affirmation for anyone who is listening and wrestling with that, you know, yes, you know, faith and justice can be bridged and also for immigration, you know, we are all pro in that way. Amen, sister. Orlando and Maritza, thank you so much, seriously, for having this conversation with me on faith and justice and immigration. And thank you all listeners for joining us. You know, it was great to talk about this topic, which is true to all of our hearts, which is faith and justice and immigration. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.